Many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. All right, here's the rules. Don't try to be like me, okay? I'm an idiot. And the ball is in the air. I'm thinking, oh, no. It was only two shots each, so it wasn't a big deal. I'm not having a glass of wine. I'm having six. It's called a tasting, and it's classy. Tita, what's up, man? Yippee Kai, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Birdies for Everyone, the official show of putting circles on the scorecard. I'm your host, Taylor Williams, aka T Dub. Want to thank everyone for putting up with the break that we've had. Had about a month now where we haven't done a show. We, uh, the 73rd Hole podcast, we went to Orlando at the end of January and then uh, didn't have internet for about two and a half weeks. So, pardon me for not being able to put any content out there. So, hopefully, I'll be able to get that up a little faster and so here we are today guys just enjoying nice lovely winter apocalypse outside in the state of oklahoma so anyone listening around this area just make sure that you're safe and you're getting out there not driving too particular fast there's a lot of slick spots at least in in the area i'm in so make sure that being as careful as you can out there so i figured i'd come at all y'all today with a little bit of my takes on essentially What's been going on the last week with the PGA Tour and the Saudi League, and even going back further than that, it's it's turned into a complete shit show. I mean, there's really no other way to define what's been going on besides shit show. I will say this, you know, the the topic today, today's Thursday, February 24th, and Phil Mickelson's comments came out about a week ago, where he essentially, in the same paragraph, he said, you know what? The Saudi government, all these people, you know, they murder people and they, they, they murder gays and all this stuff. And, they, you, know, that, that's, you know, that's bad. But, you know, the tour really needs to be better. And so I, I think it's best to partner with these guys to, to try to make the best for the tour and the future of the tour. You really think, Phil, that that is the best idea? To partner with freaking murderers and people who you openly admit that are just literally some of the worst people in the world? And you want to come out and think that that's justified? I will say this. I will say this, too, to add on top of it. I feel like the comments should have been made public whenever they were said. I don't like the fact that this was held back for two and a half months and then released. Two things need to happen. It either needs to be released when it was said or whenever the book's supposed to come out, which is going to be in May, Tuesday, at the PGA Championship. So I will say that I, I do not agree with the timing that the comments were released, but they were still said. And I will say this as well. If, if Phil didn't want these comments to be said, like he keeps saying they're off the record, don't say it. It's pretty damn simple. If you are talking to a journalist and you do not want to have your comments be made, don't say them. Why are you going to tell a journalist something off the record? Like, you don't think that that's going to get out at some point. And look, I, I understand that there's all kinds of logistics behind, well, what is actually off the record and what isn't. There needs to be, like, a formal agreement. I don't know if any paperwork or anything needs to be done. But nevertheless, it's it's really, really irritating in that aspect because I feel like the Saudi League, it could have been – we could have had a lot of this problem solved a few months ago if, if we knew these comments. I don't think the Saudi League would have made it near as far as it has. I still think it does have some legs. I think all these people talking about how it's dead in the water, I think, are wrong. I I think that it's clearly a situation that the it's not going to be anywhere close to what Greg Norman and the uh, whatever the abbreviation is, um, the Saudi League. We want to get it 
to where they want this tour to be with top ten players. You know, they wanted like five of the top ten, I would assume. That would probably have been a decent goal. If you can get half of the top ten players in the world, you're going to be doing something right. And you know, I also want to clarify, too, is that, you know, they didn't they didn't specifically say at any point that all of these tournaments were going to be in Saudi. They were going to have them all over the world. Like, it was just backed by the Saudi government or whatever. Like, I need to look up the abbreviation real quick. So, but nevertheless... Looking back on all this stuff that's happened going on, I, I want to say this, and this is really my main point about what's been going on with all this. There is, the PJ Tour is the best tour in the world. I want to say that. It, it is. It, it is the best. It is by far the best tour to play golf on. But there are a lot of things that the tour could do better, and I mean a lot. And I'm going to get into some of those things here in a little bit because I do think that during a lot of this time, You've either had, like, like so for some reason, uh, the Golf Channel has turned into the PJ Tour channel. Like, they don't say anything that's detrimental to the PJ Tour. And it's, all they say is like, oh yeah, could the Tour be better? Yeah, but so could anything be better. You're not giving any reasons as to why you think that it could be better. They're literally just highlighting that to make people happy and then just defaming everything that Phil said or that anyone said positive about the Saudi League. And I'll say this too. The PJ Tour does not give any shits at all. They do not care one bit about human rights. They don't. They don't care. If they cared, they wouldn't. There wouldn't be a PJ Tour China. If we want to get into an argument about which regime is worse, China or Saudi Arabia, it's going to be a tough battle. There's no way that you can definitively say that one is worse than the other. They are so evenly par. It's unbelievable. And there is a PGA Tour China. And when we want this other league to be set up from Saudi Arabia. Well, we just say, oh, it's human rights, human rights. No, bullshit. Shut up, PGA Tour. You're lying. You're flat out lying. You don't care about the human rights. You care that good players are about to leave your tour and play in other tournaments. Quit acting like the moral high ground and that you care so much about human rights. When there's a PGA Tour China. PGA Tour China. They may be worse than Saudi. They may be. I'm not going to sit here and say which one's worse. They're both evenly par. You can't. Say that one is the worst and then be in business with the other one. It's, that's, that's so hypocritical, it's unbelievable. So I just want people to understand that. The tour does not care. The only thing they care about is the image that it looks and that they might lose money. They only care about money. If they had a tour that was going to set up in Saudi, they would love it. If they were getting some cut of what was going to happen over there, they would love it. They wouldn't say anything. So for anyone talking about they want to be human rights activists, give me a break. Like, like Just shut up with that. Don't... Don't waste my time. And don't waste your time either by thinking that. Like, they don't care. Alright, off my little soapbox there. I'm going to officially get into you guys. Here's some of the things that I feel like that the tour could be much better at in the future. So, looking back on some of this, what I did was, PJ Tour is technically a non-profit um, organization. For somehow, by the grace of God, I'm not sure. So... We get in, and they have to file. They don't have to file W-2s or anything like that. They file a, a Form 990 is what it's called, and it's essentially for charities. And so you go in, and you can you can look at their finances, essentially. And, you know, obviously not every single detail is here. It doesn't track every single dime that is spent, but you get a pretty good pretty good insight onto where the money is going. So I want to just break down a few things here that I see as a problem. So... You know, one of the biggest things that I feel like is is kind of misrepresented, in a sense, is the fact that the tour constantly takes credit for things that 
that golf just does. It's not just the turret that does it, it's golf. So an example of that is everyone keeps talking about how, oh, well, you can keep playing as long as you want when you're when you're older. And you can keep going. And I will say this. Like, look at the people that the, the guys are making on the Champions Tour. Do you do you really think that the PGA Tour is making that, or the Champions Tour is making that much money to give those guys? No, it's coming from it's coming from other endeavors. Whether it be from what, what's happening on the PGA Tour, whether it be from qualifying school where players have or people having to pay three grand each school, and that's every player every step of the way. So I I, I just I'm tired of hearing these these comparisons about how. Golf just or the PGA Tour allows you to do all these things to your older. That's not the case. That's golf. Golf allows you to do that. Like in, in the NFL, NBA, you have you have a, a span where you can play. It's depending on your position in the NFL, you're going to play anywhere from about thirty to to forty five. Tom Brady, and it's a little bit older when it comes to the NBA, but you don't see anyone out there older than forty five. Tom Brady playing so. But on the PGA Tour, like we just saw, we saw Phil Mickelson win last year at, at the PGA Championship. We've seen Barnhard Langer out on the Tour at 62 or 64, whatever he is now. And the PGA Tour is not the reason that these guys can still play. That's the reason they get to play for a lot of money. But if there was no PGA Tour, there would still be some organization that's set up and players would still be able to play until they're 45, 50, 60 years old. That would happen whether the PGA Tour was here or not. So I just I'm tired of people saying that the PGA Tour does all these things right when a lot of the things they do right are because of golf, not because of what the PGA Tour does. And here and here's an, here's another example of that. And I'll I'll get into this in just a second. The PGA Tour makes so much money about about how they've pretty much donated a lot to charity. And you know what they do do a great job, but I do want to say this. Looking at their looking at their financial statement the PGA Tour straight donated a whopping 3%. 3%. They made like 150, no, 1.5 billion, I'm sorry. 1.5 billion in revenue. This is These numbers are off of 2018, by the way. Um, th- that is the latest reporting we have. It's 2022 now. So, you know, hopefully we can get 2019s here before too long and be able to figure that out. So, the PGA Tour only straight donated 3% of what, of their revenue. One of the reasons that that it gets inflated in other ways. There was article brought out that over the course of the PGA Tour, the uh, they've raised three million or three billion dollars for charity over the course of their time. And, and you know, I'll get into this. It's the aspect of, from the way I understand it, from reading into uh, some different articles and stuff like that. Like for example, the tournament that was in in Phoenix a couple weeks ago, the Waste Management. There's a charity called the uh, the Thunderbirds, and Thunderbirds raised how many ever million dollars that week to promote for the foundation or whatever. And the tour did not make any straight contributions to that, but what the Thunderbirds were able to do allowed them to generate that much revenue. And once again, that goes to the aspect of the tour taking credit for something that really isn't theirs. Okay, yeah, they host the tournament and they allow the players to play in it. Guess what? If you have another tour that has this the same amount of players, the exact same thing would happen. The exact same. Would it happen with the Saudis? Probably not. They don't seem like the most that are about charity. But the once again, the tour is taking credit for something that really isn't theirs. And it's it's just frustrating. 
2018, 1.47 billion revenue. That year, they contributed 42.7 million. Now, I do want to say that 42.7 million is a lot of money, and it's it's better than nothing. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to deny that. But like they take they take the credit for what the other charities do at their tournament. They don't give any of that money. It's what the other organizations do. Well, for an example, like if we had a tournament here in Oklahoma, and just a regular PGA Tour tournament. No, we're not going to say the PGA Championship. We just had a regular tournament. And we had the uh, the first tee of Oklahoma raised a lot of money during that tournament. PGA Tour would take credit for that money that the first tee raised. There's no doubt about it. PGA Tour wouldn't have anything to do with it. They would, they would have hosted the tournament. But if any other tour hosts a tournament, besides the Saudis, I, I don't want to keep emphasizing that, but you have another tour that's just okay. Just You're not going to have any... Scrutiny per se, no, no blood money that that's on the table. You're just going to have legit wealthy people wanting to give give out money, and if that's the case, the same thing would happen, the exact same thing would happen with the money. So, please stop acting to me like the PJ Tour is just some great charity and they do all these great things. They gave three percent of their revenue to charity, and they're a nonprofit. So please, please just stop with that. Give me a break. All right, so I'm I'm gonna get on to a few more things here. So. One of the things I thought was very interesting looking at their uh, their expense report is that there's really two big areas where the tour spends a lot of money. You look at their expenses, like 83% or whatever come from two different categories. They come from essentially other expenses, which is which is essentially what the purses are. So, you know, I think this, this talk of the PGA Tour only gives out a very small percentage of their revenue I think it's higher than people want to give credit for, um, and it's especially going to increase. Well, let me phrase: the the percentage may not increase, but the actual amount is going to increase because they uh, PJ Tour just renewed their contracts last year with uh, with the networks, and and for for also for perspective here, let's look at some of the things that that the PJ Tour makes money off of. I'll get into the expenses in just a second. So, in 2018, 521 million dollars came from television rights. So it was a third. A third of the revenue came from from essentially the, the uh, network contracts. Then you have one one hundred eighty one million came from tournaments managed, one hundred ninety million came from tournaments co sponsored, hundred fifty million came from program sponsorships, and fifteen million came from production revenue. Now a lot of that stuff's all intertwined and all that, so it's kind of hard to, to decide well where did this money come from and what exactly was this done. But essentially, it's just the tournaments that they did. So. You know, you look at it, and the networks made a lot of that money, but the tour also made a lot of money just from hosting the tournament. I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, you're going to do a pretty good job there. Some of the other revenue came from, like, rental properties, stuff like that. Um, so, and gross sales on inventory, they made about $2 million there, almost $3 million. So, you know, or I'm, I'm sorry, that was the uh, that was the uh, gross sales, so then they had less cost of goods sold. So they made about $641,000. And, I, man, if, if that's not higher, if th- that should be higher. That truly should. Look at all the look at all the stuff the PJ Tour sells. Look at all the PJ Tour shirts. Go to pjtour.com website and pjtourshop.com or whatever it's called. And they only made six hundred forty-one thousand. That seems low to me. I think you got to do better in that aspect if you, if you want to do it. So, you know, I mentioned the uh, the charity thing, the the three percent. So, get down into this too, going into the expenses. PJ Tour in twenty eighteen. We mentioned earlier that they spent. Or they got they gained 521 million essentially off of uh, off of the uh, TV contracts. 
2018, the tour also spent $211 million, $211 million on TV production and broadcast. Now, once again, I don't have... I don't have the full analytics in front of me here to decide, well, where did that $200 million, all of it go? But I need people to understand that this is the PGA Tour. This is not CBS. This is not NBC. This is not a network. The PGA Tour themselves spent $211 million. I, if that's not inflated, it's bad business. That is way too much money to be spending on that. One thing to account for, too, is that you know, I've been trying to ask people, well, how could that number be that high? And a lot of people are saying production crew, camera crews, all that stuff. And it's like, well, one is that a lot of those are for the network. So CBS, Comcast, all these other people that are filing their own taxes, they're going to be filing that an amount just like that. So how much does it actually cost to, to televise a tournament? Because based off that $211 million, there's about 45 events, not including the major championships. So you're looking at roughly 4.8 million a tournament. That's the cost televising. That's not once again not from the networks, from the PGA Tour themselves. That is way too much money. There needs to be better budgeting on that aspect if you're going to do that. 211 million is way too much money to be spending on that. I I, I don't know as much about broadcasting as a, as my co-host on the 73rd hole do. Uh, you know, Coley was a uh, a journalist major. And, and so is Sam as well, I believe. So, or broadcasting, something along those lines. And, you know, that they would understand this number a little bit more than me, but I don't see how it could be that high. I, I truly don't. It makes no sense to me. How you can, once again, not the networks. This is the PJ Tour themselves. They are claiming that they spent $211 million TV production and broadcast in one year. Some of the other expense, big expenses here are allocation to sponsors, $111 million, That's understandable. Player retirement earnings, this is a big one here. This is actually something the Tour does right. And I will say this, too. I, I will mention some things that I do agree that the Tour does right later on once I get done with some of the things that they need to, to fix. So I'm, I, I want people to understand I am not a hater of the PGA Tour. I just see that there are clear things that the Tour could do better at and because they have been the only show on turf that they're not doing it. And my thought process was, I never thought that the Saudi League was going to work out. It depends on how you define workout. Like, I, I thought in 10 years there was no chance that the Saudi League would be around. No, no chance. Even if they got five of the top 10 players in the world, I didn't think it'd be there. The only way it was going to work is if you got all those players and then you continue to get young, promising amateurs from college and, and the uh, World Amateur Golf Rankings. That's really the only way that that would have worked, and I did not see that happening. I, did, I just didn't see it. And I think now it goes to show that it's definitely not going to work. And, you know, I was... The difference between what me and Phil were thinking is that I'm, I can't control the situation. I just sit back on the side and I think of the way things can be better. Phil literally hired the lawyers to draft the paperwork for the Saudi League to make sure that it all contractually worked. He literally funded funded the league. So while I'm sitting here, I agree with the same thing that Phil does in the aspect of the turn needs to be better and they've, what do you say, obnoxious or obvious greed or something like that. I mean, I don't think he's wrong. I think anyone that dig, does a little bit of digging will assume that he's will see that he's not wrong. I just think that there's a lot of things that the tour does right that doesn't get acknowledged, 
once again, a lot of things the tour does wrong that doesn't get acknowledged. But it's I thought that the Saturday could potentially be good for golf. I just thought that it would slap the PGA Tour in the face and say, okay, well, we need to be better. But instead, we had Phil come out and make these dumbass comments, and then we keep worrying about blood money, which is, I mean, let me rephrase this. I, I keep saying that the PGA Tour is bad because they're sponsored with China. Yes, they are bad for that. They are 100% bad for that. But that doesn't, it doesn't defame, or that doesn't make what the Saudis do any, any better, any worse. It's still horrible. They're still some of the worst people on this planet. I just, I, I don't agree with the aspect of we hate one, but then we're in business with the other in China. So I'm going to read off some other things here. I've gotten through my the budget for the broadcast and the, the fact that I don't think they give enough to charity, even though they claim that they do. So I want to get into another thing that I thought was very, very interesting. So one of the things that we talk about a lot on, on the 73rd hole in particular, whenever we talk about the difference between a, a PGA Tour player, golfer, and... Another professional athlete, whether it be an NBA player, NFL player, MLB player. MLB is kind of sketchy right now because they're going through a lockout, but the premise of the example is still the same. So, like, for example, Brandon Chambly a couple weeks ago talked about all these things that that the athletes on those tours get and the things that the the tour players get here and how it's different. And it's my whole point was, was that PGA players have to pay for every tournament they go to they have to pay for wherever they stay. Also, a lot of this, too, is to, like, for example, when Tiger plays in Florida, like 10 miles from his house, he doesn't need to pay to stay. So, I mean, I think everyone understands that. And you obviously don't have to pay for travel. But 98% of players are not like that, with the exception of maybe the Scottsdale tournament. So everyone's having to pay to travel, especially the the guys that are rookies on the PGA Tour. Like Cameron Young, who's up here on the, on the television right now, finished second last week at, at Riviera, tied for second. And you know, the problem with that is is that you a great percentage of guys on the Corn Ferry Tour right now and on the mini tours have sponsors because they can't afford the cost to play these tournaments. And look, I, I understand that, like, for example, the, uh, the Adams Tour or whatever it's called now is not PJ Tour affiliate. Corn Ferry is, though. Latin America is. And so going back to the expense, the expense sheet, I see here... For travel, in, t- in 2018, the PGA Tour spent $21 million on travel. $21 million as an expense. And players still have to pay to go to tournaments. Are you kidding me? We're going to pay for all these high executives or anyone that wants to go to the tournament, give them private flights, charter flights, or whatever. That, that's one thing here, too. I'm not going to get too much into it because it's a little hard to read and all the fine print and all that. But on this on this uh, form nine ninety, PJ Tour has a box check for they will send people on private flights every once in a while. They have that they have that on there. And he spent twenty one million dollars on travel, and the pay the players still have to pay their way. That's utterly ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. I think an easy way to fix this is okay. We have that pro, uh, the TV production broadcast two hundred eleven million. Hey, let's just take twenty-one. If we can save twenty-one million dollars from that, make it one hundred ninety million. We can give twenty-one million dollars to allocate to the players to actually travel these tournaments, and we need that so bad. Now, I was talking with my dad last night or a couple nights ago, and he said that players shouldn't be paid to miss the cut, and I understand that. I, I agree with that. I don't think, and and I think Sam 
Sam Humphries mentioned this on the 73rd hole that that he thinks that if there ever is a tour, and, and I'm pretty sure Fraser, sir, I don't want to misspeak for him, but if if there ever come around a tour where the players or let me phrase the blood money wasn't there, like I mentioned earlier, there's just like just an example, Elon Musk or some rich guy, whatever it may be, wants to support a tour. Well, what is the tour going to do? Just let them play? I think not. I don't think that's going to happen. And the point the point Sam was making is that if if that does happen, there's just another tour that that allows that doesn't doesn't have blood money, then the PGA Tour that's when you would start seeing guaranteed money. And I do not think there will ever be a day where the PGA Tour gives out guaranteed money. I don't I don't think it'll ever happen. They they won't say hey just come up and play it. Close thing we get to guaranteed money is no cut events. So I think there's plenty of those to go around. So obviously you need to be high in the field to do that. But all you have to do is play 72 holes and you get paid. So I don't think that we'll ever see guaranteed money come out of it. But uh, going to get into some other things here. So one of the things that I think that the tour does not do particularly well is the advertising promotion budget. Looking looking on the uh, the expense sheet here. PJ Tour spent fifteen million dollars in advertising and promotion. So I want to I want to clarify this for everyone out there listening to. This PJ Tour spent six million more dollars on travel for not for people who are not players than they did the marketing for the tour, the advertising promotion for the PJ Tour, which is something that whenever whenever the media rights for the players were brought up, that was one of the things that the people said was that oh well they market it for you guys so they they can market it for you and it's like. You made $1.5 billion and you only spent $15 million to advertise it. You spent $6 more million to send your executives on travel than you did to market your tour to advertise. You Not to market, to advertise. There's a, there's a difference there. But I just think that's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. It should be more than that. And you want to say, well, where does this money come from? Well, it's coming. The new TV contract, it's there. Go, getting into somewhere of the other money spent. We've been talking for a long time about how the executives of the PJ Tour kind of pocket a little bit more than they probably should. They ask, well, where the money's going? They say it's going there. Well, and I want to say this too. I don't think that... Not, like, even if you just didn't pay the executives, like, it's not going to solve all the problems. But this is this is an indicator as to why... I think people are saying what they're doing. So, everyone knows Jay Monahan's the commissioner. In 2018, he pocketed roughly, let me do my math here because it's separating two different co- uh, columns, right around $7.4 million. $7.4 million for the commission of the PJ Tour. Does that sound very high? doesn't sound off the radar high until you realize that if you look at the PJ Tour money list, and you put where Jay Monahan would have been, he would have been the fifth highest player that year. Fifth! The commissioner would have been the fifth highest player and not hit one shot. Let's read out some other, other people here. I'm not going to say their names. I'll just say their title. The uh, chief operating officer, PJ Tour, made about $4.2 million. Uh, chief media officer made about $2.4 million. Chief commercial officer made about $2.7 million. Um, chief tournament and competition official made roughly, uh, once again, I don't want to get my math here wrong, about $2.1 million. Uh, Chief Administrative Officer made $1.8 million. 
uh, EVP license and chief legal officer made about 1.5 million, no 1.4 million, sorry. Um, and so I could keep going here. There's multiple more names that I could say. One thing that I thought was really interesting is that in 2018, they paid the former commissioner, Tim Fincham, $817,000. For what? I have no idea. He's not listed as a consultant on here. He's listed as former commissioner. Made $800,000 just off base commission. $800,000 for the former former, former commissioner. How much sense does that make? Here's another one, too. The uh, former chairman in the President's Cup um, head or whatever it's called made $2.8 million. $2.8 million to be the head of the President's Cup. And I may be wrong on, on this aspect of it, but the President's Cup didn't even occur in 2018. It was 2017 and 2019. So the, the, the chairman of the President's Cup got $2.8 million on a year. They didn't even have it. Once again, you can add up all these numbers, and that's not going to be the difference on these players leaving for Saudi or staying. But that's the kind of stuff that people are talking about. Jay Monahan would have been the fifth highest paid player in, 20, in, 20, uh, seven, in 2018. Fifth. That's just unacceptable. That should not be the case. Look at the. Like, I'm not going to mention the NFL because Roger Goodell is. I mean, everyone knows how corrupt he is because they, they literally call him corrupt all the time. Adam Silver, NBA. A lot of people say the NBA is the best league out there, the most player friendly league. Adam Silver's salary is $10 million. That's three more million than Monahan. Look, that's less than three million more. And the NBA makes so much more money than the PJ Tour does. It's not even funny. So I think that. There's there's definitely some validity to these executives are taking more money than they should. Like I said, the numbers on the surface don't sound that bad until you add them all up. Here's another one. Uh, former, former, senior, uh, for, former senior advisor, this guy I was reading about him, uh, Edward Morehouse. He was a, a, for, a lawyer for the tour, but this was the year that he retired, 2018. Pocketed about $7.6 million. So he would have been also the fifth highest playing player on tour that year. And no one had ever heard of his name until this. Unless you worked in the PGA Tour, you were sued by the PGA Tour or something, you never heard of this guy's name. Ever. And, you know, looking at it here too, the, the Morehouse guy, he made almost $3 million in bonuses and incentives. And, you know, his, his base commission wasn't very high at all. Everything came off of um, bonuses and other reportable compensation. But it's just it solidifies what the what a lot of tour players are saying. But adding on to that aspect, I will say a few things here. You look at the, this year, there were four players that were essentially on the uh, there were player directors. Yeah, Davis Love the third. He was player director slash secretary. Kevin Stroman was just player director. Charlie Hoffman was player director slash treasurer, and Johnson Wagner was just uh, player director. So going through here. Davis Love III, player director slash secretary, made two or three hundred and eighty-nine thousand dollars. Not very, not very much for that title, but it's still a good amount of money. Kevin Stroman, just for a player director, one point four million dollars. Charlie Hoffman to be player director slash treasurer, one point three seven million. Johnson Wagner, just player director, seven hundred thirty-five thousand dollars. So why in the hell did Charlie Hoffman ever come out and rip the tour? He got paid a hundred. Almost $1.4 million to be the treasurer of the tour. Whoopee! 
we don't hear about how hard that that job is so i, I mean i'm going to assume that you have to be in, in all the meetings and everything but is it a gig that's worth 1.4 million i'm not sure but for someone like charlie hoffman who ripped the tour a couple weeks ago at the at the uh, waste management where he pretty much said that players are wanting to move to saudi to because the rules were bad, and like it was one of the most ridiculous things I'd ever heard. It was just such a bad comparison. It was unbelievable. So while the tour is dishing out a lot of money to these executives, they're also dishing out the money to the player directors and the player treasury. So you know, for all these players who who want to rip the tour and say that, there's uh, reading that made me like astonished as to why Charlie Hoffman would ever ridicule the tour at all. One of the next things I want to get to, guys, is. One of the main things that Phil Mickelson talked about, and that was the uh, the media rights for the players. And, and a few points I want to make. One is that what a lot of people are saying on the PJ Tour channel, that's what I'm going to call the golf channel now, the PJ Tour channel. They are they are right in the aspect of the players have never owned their media rights on the tour, never. But the difference is is that the tour has been around for how many ever years, eighty years, hundred years, whatever, and the the digital age has changed so much in the last 10 years in particular let alone 20 and the the fact that people are just like literally ridiculing Phil for saying his 20 billion or whatever the comment was on how much the, the tour is sitting on and everyone's coming out and saying oh there's no way that that number's right there's no way it's they're, they're nowhere close to that and I just want to say this I said this on the 7th row but I'm going to say it here there is no way to properly appraise how much those rights are worth. They've never been on the open market. Look at something. This is the example I made. You look at Pokemon cards, baseball cards, or any type of collectible. A baseball card on the surface is worth three cents. It's just a piece of paper. But then all of a sudden you get the fact that it's a one, like there's five in the entire world that are made. People pay millions of dollars for that stuff. Millions of dollars. And the same thing goes with the PGA Tour media rights. No one knows how much those are worth until they actually get on an open market. Because you sit there and you think like, oh, well, you know, we have this much, this much, this much, blah, blah, blah. And that there's, I don't know how anyone could ever appraise that. Unless you literally just set up a bidding war saying, well, how much do you want to pay for this? And, you know, I will say too that the, the, the problem there is, like what a lot of people were saying that if the players have their own media rights, then technically they could like start up their own channel, right? Like the Tiger Woods channel, the Phil Mickelson channel. And is that the best thing for golf? I don't think so. But at the same time, the PGA Tour is, I will say this, they are hoarding the media rights of these independent contractors. They are. And I mean, there's, there's literally zero doubt about that. There's zero doubt that, that they're doing that. And, you know, one example is that, you know, Phil Mickelson said that he had to pay a million dollars every time they hosted a match. And from from one of the articles I was reading, saying that Turner Sports was the one that, that had to pay that. But principle is still the same. Do, do you own these players? I don't know what's going I don't know what's signed in the player handbook. That's the problem with all this. I, I've never been a PGA Tour member. I don't know what's in the handbook. So I don't know what these players sign off to and what they don't. But the fact that. Because and this was the argument made. Well, he made so much more money than that off the match. He's made nine million in one of them, then he only had to pay one. That's not bad. 
It's still a million dollars they shouldn't have to pay. He's playing golf. He's not playing on the PGA Tour. He's playing golf. I'm tired of the PGA Tour taking credit for what golf gives to the game. Golf gives to the world. The PGA Tour doesn't. Golf does. Quit looking at golf like it's just the PGA Tour. PGA Tour is golf. PJ Tour needs to get put in its place. And that's what I thought the Saudi League was going to do. But it's been all it's been all tossed to hell. So hopefully the PJ Tour will learn. And it sounds like some things are, are going to get changed. Um, for example, one of the things that in the player meeting that they had on Monday at the Honda that they keep talking about so much is that, you know, there's not there's not an off season anymore for the PJ Tour. And it's so true because I mean, while like, yes, the best in the world they can take off after the Ryder Cup or whatever. <coughs> Excuse me. They they can take off until the Ryder until after the Ryder Cup till the start of next year. But a lot of these players don't. And the tournaments from October September through December all have the same weight as tournaments that do in the in February and March and in in June and July, with the exception of the majors, obviously the Players Championship. There's there's a handful of events that get they get higher, but also the same goes for uh, WGCs, which I don't think they have anymore. They used to, Oh, do they have? They might have the WGC in. Uh, yeah, they do in in the fall. Yeah, the uh, the HSBC. So I mean, that's another point. That's another term that's worth more, and it's in the uh, it's in November. So I think that these players they drastically want an off season where they can actually rest. NBA players, I mean, their off season is not that long, but they're off from, with the exception of the teams that make the finals or the quarterfinals, they're off from what May to October. The NFL's off eight months. They're off from January to August. Or February to August, I guess, if you make the playoffs. So seven months. And I just I the the premise behind it, from my understanding, is that we kept getting the US kept getting demolished in the Ryder Cup because the Ryder Cup used to be a little I I may be wrong on this, but it used to be a little later than it is now. And I know this is true. They didn't used to be any tournaments really around that. Players would stop playing after the tour championship and then they would, then they would go to the Ryder Cup, and then we'd get our ass beat every year. And I think trying to fix the schedule was a way to kind of fix that and also to just make the tour more money. And in the aspect it can make the players more money because, like, when Rory won at uh, CJ Cup or whatever it's called, um, he made, what, $1.7 million or something like that? And, and that's pretty damn good. So, I mean, it's not like the, it's not like they have these fall events to just rape the players. It's... It's just a way for the tour to keep making money. And I think a lot of these guys want a solid reason to have an offseason. Let the guys that want to play, play. And then the guys that want a break, let them have that opportunity without just getting absolutely demolished. And don't make it to where only the top 10 players or whatever have that option to because they're the only ones that can gain enough points from January to um, end of July, August to get to be able to make it to where they want to, to the tour championship. And obviously the playoffs have a lot to do with that, but if you if you get in the top one twenty five at one twenty, the odds of you getting to East Lake are very low, like very low. You're gonna have to win then, then those two events to do that, and it's harder now because there's only two events before the Church Championship, have three like there used to be. So I think that that's something that they're working on changing. Actually, off season, one thing that the players noted was they want more transparency in the financial dealings. I mean, God bless them for that. I mean, I think you want to know if you're gonna be, and I'm also tired of this too. Like, the, the PJ Tour channel here is just saying that, oh, the players were never threatened with lifetime bans. Well, from my understanding, they were told if, if you don't, if you want to go to the tour, go, go and you're not welcome back. 
Kevin Stroman literally just said that on the TV right before I started recording this. And you're not welcome back? Well, what, does that, is that going to expire after five years, ten years? You're not welcome back after five years? Like, if you say you're not welcome back, you assume you're not welcome back ever. Like, that's not going to change. So these people are saying, like, the tour hasn't threatened them with lifetime bans. I call bullshit. Because if you say you're not welcome back, to me, that's considered a lifetime ban. If they did not use the exact phrasing, lifetime ban, I, I don't care. Telling someone they're not welcome back is uh, is essentially the same as a lifetime ban for me. I truly believe that. So I call bullshit on that. And one of the questions they had, this isn't really necessarily too much criticism of the turrets. You know, they're aware, a lot of players are worried about the Netflix documentary that's coming out and what's going to be shown and what isn't going to be shown. And, you know, I think that goes to show that a lot of these tour players want to be more private than, than a lot of times they're alluded to be. And, you know, why, like a lot of things... A lot of things happen behind the scenes at golf that are that would not be appropriate for a lot of viewers. It's the same with every sport. Like it's people gotta wake up. You're looking at athletes to be idols. I mean, it's only gonna get you so far. Look at Tiger Woods. So I, I understand these these players have their their qualms about that, and they don't want to be shown saying something that they don't want. They don't want to be known. And I'm not saying everyone's out there saying bad things like JT did at at Kapalua. But players are scared of something like that coming out and them ruining their reputation. And guess what? When when Justin Thomas was um, caught on mic at Kapalua saying his derogatory uh, his slur, it's like, okay, so what? Did the tour get hurt by that? No. JT lost his sponsorships. He lost Polo and whoever else. And it's like, okay, if you want accountability for things that the players do, then if you want to benefit off what the players do, you should be hurt whenever they don't do well. You can't have it both ways, PJ Tour. You just can't. But they want to. And that's what's continued to happen. One other thing that was said in the uh, in the meeting that I thought was really, really weird is that I talked about the that the PIP, the, uh, the player impact portfolio, whatever it's called, essentially where the top 10 players who make the most social media impact are rewarded at the end of the season. They said that it's almost finalized. How the hell is it almost finalized? It's almost the end of February. The season ended at the end of August. Or the middle of September, whenever it was. How How is it taking this long to calculate that? And there needs to be a released rankings of the PIP. It should be a lot more transparent than it is. It's utterly ridiculous that we just hear through the rumor mill who won it and who didn't. Show us! We need some criteria to know how this works. If you want to just keep it hidden, PJ Tour, you're just going to keep getting ripped. So, guys, I'm kind of running out of breath here. I've I've hit a lot of the main points I wanted to get to. Um, one thing I do want to say, this is just regarding the show. This isn't regarding the PJ Tour. Is that you know, the first the first two shows I, I posted the same. Um, a post credit scene. I will do a different one today. The reason I did that was because the first episode was only released on like two platforms out of like 30. So I didn't think as many people were going to get to listen to it. So I made sure to put the post credit scene on both of them because it's literally my favorite golf tip of all time. And I think everyone should do it who's struggling with particularly timing of, of their golf swing. And so I'll post a different one at the end of that. And I do want to say too that I'm going to go and shout out to our man Sam Humphreys. Um, he, I don't know how much he does it anymore, but he does do it um, some. He's on Twitch playing playing different games and stuff like that. 
His, uh, his gamer tag or whatever is Thunder Monoball. Thunder, then M-O-N-O ball. Anyone who knows Sam understands what that means. It's really, really funny. So if you're if you're one of those people that likes to watch uh, streaming and uh, games being streamed, Sam's the place to go. Like I said, not sure how often he's able to get to do it right now. He's working a lot at the franchise. But make sure to check him out there. And so, you know what, guys? I think I'm going to pretty much call this a day here. I appreciate everyone sticking around for a month or however long it was. Um, when you don't have internet, it makes things a little more difficult. But we finally got it back. Ready to roll and so excited for this year of 2022. Cannot wait for what the season holds. And hopefully some of these things that I mentioned the PGA Tour does wrong can get um, can somewhat get improved. And maybe some things I haven't even noticed or thought about will improve as well. One thing I do want to say too before I get out of here that the PGA Tour does do right that I did not realize this until doing a little bit of digging. For every player that makes the cut, in a PJ Tour event, as long as you play 15 events that year, if you play 15 events throughout the year and you make a cut, you're going to get $4,800 towards your retirement fund for each cut you make. And then after, if you made, um, if you made more than 15 cuts, it doubles, $9,600 each time you make a cut, just going to your uh, retirement. So. Once again, I think that's something really cool. Whenever you hear all these players say that they had the best uh, pension in all of sports, I think that that's, you know, doing a little bit of digging, that's hard to argue with that. So I do think that that is something good. I, I'm just so tired of people just, of the PJ Tour channel in particular, just saying how great they are and how there's, oh, yeah, yeah, they could do some things better, but we're not even going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about how bad the Saudi League is. And, yeah. Blood money or whatever. But guess what? The tour needs some competition to get better. Because if they don't, whenever there is a tour that comes around without blood money and wants to give out the same amount of figures, and it will happen. There's no doubt about it. It will happen sometime in our lifetime. Maybe within the next 10 years. And if that does happen, there will be players that leave. Players won't care about lifetime bans if that happens. And the PJ Tour is going to find a new narrative. Because they're going against blood money and they, have, they don't care about that. They care about the fact that players would leave their tour. So, PJ Tour, please quit playing moral high ground. You know you don't care about that stuff. If you did, get out of China. That's all I'm going to say. Get out of China if you care about that. Doug Gamble on TV also made a hole-in-one. So, wish uh, wish we had the uh, the sounder that would down the second third hole. we play the uh, the hangover song, Gonna Find Our Best Friend, Doug. Really need that right now. I thought that ball was going in. So, I think I've got about almost I need to here, guys. So, love all y'all. Uh, like I said, if, if you have any qualms about anything I said or maybe I misspoke, something like that, uh, my number is 405-278-1180. Just give me a shout, and and I'll uh, definitely next show. It, it will not be another month for the next show, I promise. I will do one. Try to do one at least once a week, sometimes twice. Um, who knows, there may be something crazy happen tonight, and I may have to come back again. So I'll probably be hot on this mic for as long as Saudi news keeps dropping because I, I am just fed up with this, this narrative that's being told. And while a lot of it's true, a lot of it is very misleading and very misguided. So... Hope that everyone can see that, and hopefully everyone has great rest of their week, weekend. Make sure to stay safe out there on the icy roads. God bless y'all, and thank y'all again so much for tuning in. I tell this to a lot of my students. They, they come to me, and they think that, well, you know, I just want to make my swing look pretty, and I want to, you know, obviously I always want to lower their scores, which is the name of the game, and that's what we all want to do. And so I think that one of the number one things that gets overlooked in, in golf is essentially course management and target lines off tees and in the, into the green. So 
you know, one thing that, that gets kind of lost in a lot of this rubble is that they think that, oh, we got, you see Bryson out there, you see all, you know, distances and names, so people just want to hit it so far. And, yes, the game is going towards distance, but I want to, want to um, you know, give a little bit of analytics here. So, for any hole, this, this is according to the strokes gain metrics, so you do a little bit of adding and subtracting, and you get it figured out. For any hole that's over 350 yards, you have to hit your drive 300 plus if you're going to hit it in the rough and still break even on strokes, strokes gained. So, yes, distance is the game, but unless you can hit it past 300 yards, you need to be focused on hitting fairways. For example, and that's just the break-even point on strokes gained. Here, here's the break-even point for if you hit the fairway on, on holes. This is going from 360 up to 500, and this is all this is all just break-even. So you got 222, 32, 42, 50, 260, 265, 270. So you can gain strokes if you just hit fairways. So what I tell people on that is, is that, you know, depending on the course you're playing, the course may be really firm, so then you have to play the slope of the break into it. But also with dog legs and stuff like that, you need to know exactly how far your bar, ball carries so that you know where to aim at in the middle of the fairway. Google Earth is a great a great tool for that. All you have to do is get the app, put in whatever course you're playing, whatever course you play at, and look at it. And you can go in, and the yardages are literally spot on to a T. And you can see how wide a fairway is. Okay, if a fairway is 30 yards wide, the 15-yard mark is dead center. And you want to aim at that point every time. The exceptions are if there's water on the left and there's a lot of room right. And, and these are also kind of advanced things. We're going to course management, but stuff like that. And so trying to avoid penalty strokes is the big thing. Stop! Don't short-side yourself. Going into my next thing. So whenever I play, I have a rule that if I have nine iron or less, so nine iron, pitching wedge, gap wedge, sandwich, whatever it is, I need a reason to not aim at the flag. That, that could be there's it's tucked five on from the side, and there's a bunker on the right side that if you get in, you're, you're effed. So then you, you have to you aim 15 feet left or 10 feet left, whatever it is. Knowing your miss radius on that is so important because... Like for one, like that example I made right there, let's just say it's five off the right and there's a bunker on the right. Well, if you never push your wedges and all you do is pull them, you can aim right at the flag. But if you push wedges and you don't pull them, you need to aim left of the flag. You want to line up to where you're, with the exception of a shank or just something god-awful, make it to where your mediocrely bad shot will not be completely screwed. And only the individual player can know that. So then, going on that aspect, if it's 9-iron or less and not aim at the flag, I, if I have 8-iron or more, so 8-iron, 7-iron, 6-iron, 5-iron, 3-wood, hybrid, whatever, I need a reason to not aim at the middle of the green. And it's a good it's a good model to live by because it gets you thinking every time you get up there. Put on an 8-iron, you say, okay, well, why would I not aim at the middle of the green? Okay, well, it's a fairly flat green. There's literally nothing around the pin. And why not aim at it? My worst miss isn't going to be anywhere where I can't get up and down 9 out of 10 times. So just aim at the flag and give yourself a better chance to make birdie. You know, going off of the uh, the make percentages as well on putts, 3 feet, a, play, a PJ Tour player, 95% chance, 4 feet, 85, 4 feet, 75, 5 feet, 65, 7 feet, 55, 8 feet, just right at 50%. So, as you can see, that 25% chance is at 14 feet. 
So as you can see, the percentages drop off drastically for each foot that you're further away. So whenever you can, you want to be able to hit your shots as close as possible, but you have to make sure that you're doing it in a smart manner to where you're not going to short side yourself, you're not going to hit in the water, you're not going to give yourself an opportunity to make bogey or double when you, when you should make par at worst.